Future City is made possible by McCormick and Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at McCormickCorporation.com. Hey, I'm Charles Robinson, and welcome to Future City, the monthly show here on WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. Whether you know it or not, you use artificial intelligence. If you've ever asked Siri a question or Googled a subject, this is AI. Through algorithms, these software platforms assess your question and scour its databases to give you the most accurate information it has in the system. On this show, we look at AI and ChatGPT. If these acronyms have you confused, well, you aren't alone. One of the first groups to see the challenges of these new technologies was journalists. We listened in a conversation with journalists from around the country about their concerns. You know engineers have known about AI for years. Tyrone Trayborn, the publisher at Career Communications, has seen the future and believes his creation of STEM cities is a game changer, especially for minorities. Our show begins with Richard Fornoy, who heads up the University of Maryland Baltimore County Graduate School on Cybersecurity. Well, first and foremost, we are excited once again to bring back Richard Fornoy of UMBC. Uh, Richard, we're here to talk to you a little bit about uh, AI and chat GPT. From an academic perspective, how are your students and you dealing with this? Hi, Charles. It's great to see you again. Uh, I, I think the whole question of chat GPT is something that is, um, we're really in the first inning uh, of, of a very long ball game here. Uh, it took the world by storm last fall and, you know, hardly a day went by when you didn't see headlines about, you know, chat GPT, it was going to, uh, mean the end of every job and, you know, education and teachers and students would not have to, you know, read stuff anymore. Um, we're not seeing that yet, but it does represent, I think, kind of where technology is going for our society generally, and certainly in education. Um, it's a tool like Google, like the internet itself, that can be used for good purposes for students and faculty, and it can be abused, you know, by students who want to maybe cheat or get around, get around doing their work. So um, like anything, it's just a question of how it's, how it's used. I note that uh, I have seen some studies where ChatGPT has been used to do everything from, you know, write law school papers to medical exams. I guess, does that frighten you? Well, it concerns me that a, um, a system is able to uh, perform well on these tests. But again, if you think about how these systems are designed, they're essentially scraping the internet, getting all this public information they can, and then analyzing whatever questions they're presented to generate an answer. So in some ways, it's not surprising to see a, a chat GPT system pass a law exam or a, a medical re, uh, qualification review because they're asking specific questions that can be answered by specific research. And ChatGPT has been programmed with all this data and done the research ahead of time. So all it has to do is kind of think about things and kind of spit out the answer. 
It's not the, where we are now, it's not the equivalent of Mr. Data from Star Trek, where you've got a sentient computer that can, you know, do everything. We are nowhere near that yet. It's ChatGPT in many ways is a lot like Google on steroids, if you want to kind of put it in very simple parlance. It's not just academia that's concerned. As a journalist, I am also concerned. And also, you know, uh, its implications are far wide and reaching. What are some areas that uh, that we may not be thinking about where this application may be applicable? I think journalism is a prime example. Um, and I say this as a general concern, not because I'm talking to a journalist right now, <laughs> but um, if you have a, com a, a computer, a system, an algorithm that is um, generating content, articles, and these articles are then being put on websites, whether it's, you know, YPR, or the Washington Post, or the Baltimore Sun, people are going to read that and believe what they, uh, what they read because it's coming out under that journalistic entity. And if the old saying garbage in, garbage out comes to mind here, if you have this system like ChatGPT and you've trained it and it's learned information that may not be 100% accurate or come from reliable sources, well, if that's what's going into the, the mixing bowl, what it's going to produce after it comes out of the oven is going to be equally questionable. So that to me is a concern because, you know, can you trust what you're reading? That really, I think, uh, is a worry for society generally. There have been some sci-fi movies that have kind of, I don't want to say predicted <laughs> where we're headed at this point. But are we out of the sci-fi mode and into the reality mode? I think sci-fi always pushes the limits of possibilities, and it gets us thinking about what could be done. You know, who would have thought 50 years ago that you could send a document or do a video chat between cities or around the world for free and in high quality? That was unheard of 50 years ago, and now we can do it from our bedrooms. The, re the real world ramifications, um, we're still learning what they are about chat GPT, like any new technology. We have to see, um, put it through its paces. And my hope is that we've learned to not just blindly rush it and embrace something new without stopping, taking a deep breath and trying to figure out what are our risks along the way. Um, chat GPT, like you said, came out last fall, November, I believe. And now all the tech companies are putting AI and chat GPT into their products uh, and we're AI enabling everything. Well, that's great. But again, have you, the vendor, thought this through to decide, is this a good thing? And just because we can do something and include this capability, should we do it? And is it of a quality that we can trust it enough to put it into our technology? And that to me is a concern because Cybersecurity, my, my domain, you know, history is replete with us rushing into a new product or a service or a platform before thinking about the consequences for privacy, for security, for reliability and uptime. And we see the problems that result. And I worry that ChatGPT and AI could go down that path where we just accept it and roll it out without thinking it through. I know you watched and I, I was apprehensive when I heard the guy who was kind of like the creator of these of these systems go, we need to pause and and rethink its implications in society. How did you see that, Richard? I saw it 
two ways, depending on what my mood was at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, my initial reaction was, wow, this is great that, you know, the the, the, vent, the industry itself is saying we've got to put the brakes on and, and, and slow, slow our roll. But then I also kind of wonder, putting on my, my cynic hat, why is industry doing this? You know, are they trying to maybe do regulatory capture and kind of influence whatever regulations are going to be rolled out so that they can preserve their business models under the guise of some regulatory framework. So I hope that any AI regulation is meaningful and it's not just window dressing and uh, and showmanship. I can tell you, Richard, if there's a buck to be made, industry will find a way not only to maximize it, but as to exploit it. And that to me seems to be a driver of what we have going on. Yes, very much so. Uh, it's always follow the money. A lot of people will hear this conversation and go, well, you know, it doesn't really affect me. How would you answer that? I think if it doesn't affect you now, it will in in, in due course. Um, like anything, people 20 years ago said, I'm never going to get on the internet. It scares me. It's too insecure. There are criminals and you know evildoers on the internet. And now you can't pay your taxes without going online. So um, technology has a way of weaving its way into society in a way that's hard to kind of get away from. Um, it's, I think it's healthy to be skeptical of any new technology. I certainly am. But I would certainly not be fearful of any new technology until I kind of think things through and see how it's evolving. I know a lot of times, specifically in the technology field, that it is hard to put the genie back in the bottle. What would you suggest that not just the layperson, but those who are who are kind of mining this data, collecting the data? Because I'm I'm gonna be candid with you, Richard. I am concerned that someone's going to take my proprietary information that I've written, mm -hmm. use it, and not pay me for it. And I think that 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 is probably, and I, I know there are coders, and you deal with a lot of coders, who are also concerned that, hey, man, I'm writing this code. I didn't just give that to you. It's That is a very real concern, whether you're a journalist, a musician, a digital artist, um, an academic, a researcher, certainly um, material that we create, we allegedly, hopefully own the copyright to or our organizations own. And if a company can scrape that information and then use it to improve its own technology like chat GPT, yeah, what's in it for us? You know, you're using our labor and you're, you're exploiting us. And what's the payout for us? And there so far isn't any. That is a economic concern that really affects creators of all types. I know ChatGPT has enough algorithms that can create a song. Yes. Um, I, I, I think I saw where uh, they created a song and was able to put a prominent artist's mm -hmm. voice on it. And, and you really didn't know it wasn't that artist. No, you don't. And it, it, chat GPT is one slice of this problem. You look at other things, what we, what we in the industry call deep fakes, where you're using artificial intelligence and advanced machine learning and high-powered computers to create very convincing audio and video forgeries. 
So for example, you know, somebody could listen to us talking now mm -hmm. and get our, get samples of our voices and then create a whole different interview and release that and say, Charles and Richard are having this conversation and it's totally false. In my view, that's a huge concern for society because then it, how can you believe what you're seeing? Is that picture in the newspaper or on a streaming website, is that really what's happening? Or has it been manipulated for one purpose or other? Um, that's why I say we're in the very early innings of all of this, because it's not just chat GPT, it's fake videos, fake audios, chat GPT and fake text as well. All of this coming together really, I think, can also be maybe construed as an attack on reality if used in an improper way. I know that uh, the industry experts made the startling if you will, announcement. It could be the end of civilization. And I was like, I don't think that it's going to be the end of civilization, but it could change how the civilized world sees how things are done. I would agree with the sense of what of what this pers person was saying. I don't think it's the end of civilization yet, I, um, but I think where the problem is, is if we as humans and as individuals give up our ability to uh, critically analyze what we're seeing and reading and hearing and just believe it at face value, then we are in, in essence elevating technology over us. And that to me is a very real concern because we need, not many schools teach critical thinking and media literacy and communication and how to read body language and debate and forensics and those sort of things that make us interact as functional adults. And that to me is a huge problem if we just accept what technology provides us and we don't question it, that doesn't do society or our future any good. Richard, I wanna get out of here on this. And that is, you've been watching this space for a little while, where are we going? Well, we're always moving forward. The question is forward into what? Uh, I think there's a lot of promise with the technology developments and properly used and developed and sold and, and, and rolled out across the world. I think it can do a lot of benefit for society and humanity. But there will always be criminals and people with ulterior motives who will use those same technologies for nefarious purposes to disrupt and cause, cause confusion in the world. So there's always gonna be this debate between the good guys and the bad guys using technology for their own individual ends. That's Richard Fornoy, he's at UNBC. He leads the cybersecurity programs at UNBC. Richard, thank you for joining us on Future City. Thank you. Thanks Richard Fornoy, who heads up the University of Maryland at Baltimore County Graduate School on Cybersecurity. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. We don't want you to go anywhere. In our next segment, Tyrone Trayborn of Career Communications Group, based in Baltimore, takes us inside what engineers are working on to transform AI into a usable platform. We'll hear his story when we come back.
Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong, what's next. Tyrone Trayborn has seen the future of AI and ChatGPT. He has tapped the many influencers he has come in contact with over the years to help create a new platform which will tap into the possibilities that takes advantage of these new technologies. I am always delighted to have a conversation with Tyrone Cherryborn, who is the publisher at Career Communications, which includes a Black engineer and Hispanic engineer. Tyrone, you and I had a conversation a couple of months ago about um, artificial intelligence, commonly referred to as AI. Give me your sense of where AI is today. AI is probably, um, AI has always been with us, Charles, as you know. It's existed. Uh, We've just come into a new era with uh, machine learning. So where we are now is harnessing the power of using computers to help us take all of this data we've ever created and be able to come up with a new information as a result of that data. A lot of people are both concerned and like you are fascinated with this, this new move in this direction. I know you, you have a deep concern about how it's going to affect uh, communities of color. Can you talk a little bit about that? I do want to talk about that. Uh, StemCityUSA.com is a project that I've been working on, uh, recently uh, earmarked for $2 million by the uh, Maryland Congressional Caucus, Kwaisi Fume, Van Hollen, Ben Cardin, and others. And what we're doing, we're doing an AI-powered city. That means average citizens will be able to go online, communicate, collaborate with one another, access all kinds of government services, and having simply by asking a question like we're doing right now. It's transformational. The reason this is so important, Charles, is that for the first time since 1959, for the first time we have the opportunity uh, for people who don't have the resources to be able to use technology and help close this digital divide. So it is a very transformational moment that we're moving into. That is one of the powers of artificial intelligence. I note that you have been uh, interfacing with the folks at, uh, at Meta. I don't know if you can explain to the audience how you you see your collaboration with them and 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 moving the technology forward. Well, let me say we've been working with most technology companies driven by Lockheed Martin, IBM, and others. Let me tell you what the difference is very quickly. We we're moving from a stagnant uh, a system, which is the web, the way we talk right now. It's a one-way communications for the most part. Decentralization of data very quickly simply means that you get up out of your seat, you're you're able to go into the movie itself. You're able to write the movie. You're able to collaborate with different folks. 
So that type of collaboration that citizens, that we can all do, makes a huge difference. We move from a stagnant to a dynamic social media situation. And that is what is so transformational. There have been a lot of cautionary signs being put up by some of the big the big ones in the, in this industry and others. Tell me what you see as the cautionary tale and what's the promise of this kind of new technology? The problem, the caution is a good caution because we're talking about every machine in the world learning all at the same time. You know, you are a genius. And I mean that in a certain way. Not only are you a genius, but in order for your legacy, you have to teach a whole bunch of people. With machine artificial intelligence, the more we rely on computers, everybody's connected. Your genius is automatically distributed through AI to billions of machines at one time. So that's the concern, not that <laughs> the concern is that the machines will be smarter than us because they remember and everything's updated and you cannot disconnect yourself from the machines once uh, in our society. That's the real danger. Now, here's the positive thing. We control the machines. We plan it. We write it. We, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's on us to do that. And that's the great opportunity for us to be able to move to a different level. Let me give you just one quick thing. I think this is going to excite you, how this helps the, uh, uh, easily can help the Black community. Black men are disproportionately locked up in jail. Disproportionately, no question about that. Now, with AI, Imagine taking Larry Gibson, the famous lawyer, Billy Murphy, Thurgood Marshall, every paper they've ever written, Charles, every opinion and putting it into an AI model. A layman can then go into that computer and say, I was pulled over for no good reason. And AI could generate a legal briefing for them based on the greatest legal minds of all time. Now, many African-American men are locked up, Charles, because they simply don't have access to um, a, a good attorneys. So imagine having all of that data available for pennies. Let's talk about on the medical side, Black men disproportionately, Black women disproportionately, we deal with inequalities in health. Having all of that data that we've now collected it's all sitting there. You can go in and you can talk in STEM City, USA. You can go into my medical clinic right now. You could talk and, and ask, these are my symptoms. And all of the great minds, all of that medical knowledge, it will kick back to you in real time answers. So for our community, this is a great equalizer. Now, the downside, a lot of journalists are feeling a, a different downside <laughs> to this because they feel, well, listen, I can go write an article. I can do this entire, I could actually do this entire podcast with AI right now. 
Uh, it won't be great, but I can do this podcast. But what I will never have is a Charles Robinson. I will never have your creativity uh, to make this happen. But from a technical point, yeah, we can do this. You know, Tyrone, as I'm listening to you, I am reminded of the Terminator series and uh, yeah. where, where Arnold Schwarzenegger is, comes back in time to, to stop the uh, the move to artificial intelligence, and I, I part of me as a journalist is fearful because people will take the work that I've done and be able to repurpose it without compensating me in some kind of way. And I think a lot of folks are not just in journalism but in science and math also have those fears. Is there anything that we can do or must we create the parameters mm -hmm. by which we use it? Absolutely. And you should be fearful of that. Um, but you should not be any more fearful to what Google and other people are already doing with your intellectual property right now. Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and that's really important that I underscore that piece. I believe the decentralization of data, meaning data is not just sitting on one, the person who owns the server, but data retains its intellectual property with you as an individual. That's where we're going. That's decentralization of data. That means you're going to have greater ownership over everything you create, not less. The future is actually very promising. And when you talk about the Terminator, Charles, let me just say this. You, we, we, it's a fascinating science fiction movie, uh, but it only dealt with the defense side. It did not deal with AI, the ability to free us up from little things that we do to take up a lot of time. You know, imagine your creativity that you're going to be able to write a hundred books rather than just two books with the use of this tool that, that everything will change. You will be like, you know, on, on, on Mark III uh, as a result of having these tools in front of you. I think a lot of our listeners are going to hear this and wonder, are humans obsolete? Creativity experience will never be obsolete. If we can dream it, we're the ones who are creating this. You were, um, uh, you, you're, you're young enough to remember Star Trek. You're young enough to remember uh, Dick Tracy. Mm -hmm. And Dick Tracy had the watch, right? The, uh, right. to communicate with video. Uh, Spock walked around with an iPad. These things never came unless it was already in somebody's memory. I mean, somebody's creativity. That's how we create. Machines will never be able to do that. I don't believe that. Uh, machines will need us, even if they're smarter than us. They're going to need us because we experience. We create experiences. That's really the power, you know, that's really the power of the of the human journey. That's what we add, I think, to the universe. 
that we create experiences. We create something out of nothing. And that's pretty, that's pretty powerful. But let me talk about this stemcityusa.com, uh, this website that any of your uh, uh, listeners can go to right now. It is a big deal. This is the future of cities, Charles. The ability for us to all come into one location, truly in one location, and have a social experience, grow, and this, this city learns. It will continue to grow, and it will continue to help to create equality. 27% of uh, the, this 27% jump in the number of people who go to church online now since the pandemic. Look how many kids have to go to school online. Look at all of these things that are happening. That is what I'm building with this STEM City USA. Well, that's Tyrone Treborn. He is the publisher at Career Communications. He handles both Black engineer and Hispanic engineer. And don't forget women. And women. <laughs> and women engineers. That's right. We wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> We really appreciate you being on Future City and giving us your insights into artificial intelligence. Thank you. Thanks, Tyrone Treborn at the Careers Communications Group. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. We have to take another break, but don't you go anywhere. In our last segment, a conversation conducted by the Council of Foreign Relations for local journalists on AI and the future of journalism. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. There is apprehension in the field of journalism of what AI and chat GTP will do to those of us on the front lines. A number of news organizations are no longer under the impression of, let's see what happens. We watch news organizations struggle and jobs disappear with the introduction of the internet and social media. The Council on Foreign Relations convened local journalists to hear from leaders in the industry. The webinar host is Carla Ann Robbins, a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations and former New York Times editor. She is joined by Dex Hunter Tariki who is the head of global communications and marketing at Google's DeepMind, and Benjamin Pimentel, a reporter with the San Francisco Examiner, who is the senior technology reporter. Take a listen to an edited version of the conversation. You know, I'm absolutely fascinated by this topic, fascinated as a journalist, fascinated as an academic. Yes, I spend a lot of time worrying whether my students are using uh, AI to write their papers so far. I don't know. 
Um, so as Arena said, uh, Dex, Ben, and I will chat for about 25 minutes and then throw it open to you all for questions. But if you have something that occurs along the way, don't hold back and post it. And you know, we will get to you. And we really do want this to be a conversation. So I'd like to start with Ben. Um, I'm sure everyone here has already played with ChatGPT or Bard if they get off the wait list. I've already <laughs> needled Dex about this. Um, you know, I asked ChatGPT, you know, what questions I should be asking you all today. And I found it sort of thin rule, but not a bad start. Um, but Ben, can you give us a quick summary of what's new about this technology, generative AI, and why we need to be having this conversation today? Uh, yes, and thank you for having me. Uh, AI has been around for a long time, since after the war, actually. But it's only in November 30, 2022 is a big day, uh, an important date for this technology. That's when ChatGPT was introduced. And it just exploded in terms of uh, 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 opening up new possibilities for the use of artificial intelligence and also a lot of uh, business interest in it. For journalists, of course, uh, quickly, there has been a debate on the use of ChatGPT for reporting and for running a news organization. And that's become a, a more um, important debate given the revelations and the disclosures of, of, of organizations like AP, uh, CNET, and recently even insiders now saying that they're going to be using um, AI for um, managing their paywall or in terms of de deciding whether to uh, offer a subscription to um, uh, a, a, a reader or not. Uh, for me personally, I think the technology has a lot of important uses in terms of making news gathering and reporting more efficient, faster. Uh, for instance, I come from a, I'm going to date myself, but when I started, it was before, um, when I uh, started my career in the U.S., I'm from the Philippines, it was in 90, June 1993, that was two months after the World Wide Web became public domain. That's when the websites started appearing. And around that time, whenever uh, uh, I'm working nights uh, to, uh, you know, that, that was before websites and before uh, Twitter, to, to get a sense of what's going on in, in San Francisco, to, especially at night, um, and I'm working at night, I would have to call every, new, every police station, fire department, hospital, from Mendocino down to Santa Cruz to get a sense of what's going on. It's boring. It's 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 uh, it's a, a tankless job, but it actually helped me. But now you can do that with technology. I mean, there you, have, you now have sites that can pull from uh, the Twitter feed of the San Francisco Police Police Department or the San Francisco Fire Department to 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 report right uh, on what's going on. And AI now creates a possibility of actually pulling that information and creating a news report that in the past I would have to do it, like a short 300 word report on, hey, Highway 80 is closed because of an accident. Uh, now you can automate that. The problem that's become more uh, prominent recently is the use of AI and you don't disclose it. Uh, we, I was recently in a, in a panel on a panel where uh, an editor disclosed was very high on the technology but then also said, when we asked him, are you disclosing it on your site? Well, frankly, our readers don't care. I disagree vehemently that when you're, if you're gonna use it, you have to disclose it. Like if you are pulling 
uh, information and, and creating reports on uh, you know, road conditions or a police action. You have to say that the AI created it. And it's definitely even more so for more for bigger stories like features or uh, you know New Yorker type of articles. You wouldn't want I wouldn't want to read a New Yorker art article and not know that it was done by an AI or by a chatbot. Uh, and then for me personally, I worry about what it means for young reporters, younger journalists, because they're not going to go through what I went through, which in many ways is good, right? You don't have to call every police station in a region to get the information, you can pull that, you can use AI to do that. But for me, uh, I worry when editors and writers talk about, oh, I can now write a headline better with AI or write my my lead and not graph with AI. That's worrisome because for me, that's not a problem for a journalist, right? You, you go through that over and over again. That's how you get better. That's how you become more critically minded. That's how you become faster and maybe even develop your own voice in, in writing a story. I'll stop there. So you raised a lot of important questions, which we'll, we will delve into some more, but I want to go over to, to Dex. Um, so Dex, can you talk a little bit more about this techno technology and what makes it different from other artificial intelligence? I mean, it's not like this is something that suddenly just we woke up one day, it was there. What makes generative AI different? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about generative AI, which, um, you know, has really, you know, wowed people, has been the ability to generate content that seems new. And obviously, how generative AI works, I mean, we talk much more about that. Um, a lot of what it's creating is obviously based on things that exist out there in the world already. Um, and, uh, you know, the knowledge that it's presenting, the content that it's creating is something that can seem very new and unique but obviously you know is built on training um, from a lot of previous uh, data i think when you experience a generative ai tool you're interacting with it in a very human kind of way in a way that previous generations of technology haven't necessarily um you're able to type in uh, natural language prompts and then you see on you know, many generative ai tools um, you know, the, the system thinking about how to answer that question and then producing something very, very quickly. And it feels magical in a way that, um, you know, certainly <laughs> maybe I'm just very cynical having spent so long in the tech industry, but, you know, certainly I don't think lots of us feel about a lot of the tools that we take for granted. This feels qualitatively different from any of the current systems that we have. So I think because of that, that positive impact on a lot of different knowledge type industries and professions. And of course, um, you know, the media industry is, you know, one of those professions. Um, I think, you know, lots of um, reporters and media organizations are obviously um, thinking not just how can I use generative AI and other AI tools as part of my work today, but what does this really mean for the profession? What does this mean for the industry? What does this mean for the economics over the long term? And those are questions that, you know, I think we're all still trying to figure out to an extent. So I want to ask you, you know, let's let's talk about the good for a while and then we can get into the bad. Um, so if you were going to make a list of things that didn't make you nervous that, you know, that 
Bard could do, that ChatGPT could do, that makes it, you know, that you look at, at generative AI and you say, well, it's a calculator. You know, we all used to say, oh my God, you know, nobody's going to ever be going to be able to do a square root again. And now everybody uses a calculator and nobody sits around worrying about that. So I just a very quick list, you know, Ben, you've already talked about, you know, pulling the feed on, on traffic and all that. You know, give us a few things that you really think, as long as we disclose that you think yeah. that this would really be good, particularly for, you know, cash-strapped newsrooms, um, so that we could free people up to do better work. And then, Dex, I'm going to ask you the same question. Please. City council meetings. Uh, <laughs> example. I mean, I started my career. You're going, you're going for the boring first. Is right, right. School board meetings. I mean, yeah, it's boring, right? You, that's where you start out. That's that's where I start out. And if I mean, I'm sort of torn between on this because you can you can use Chat GPT or generative AI to make maybe present the 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 the, uh, the agenda right the agenda for the week's meeting in a readable, more more easily digestible manner instead of having people go to the website and try to make sense of it, and even the meeting I mean uh, the minutes of the meeting right to present it in a way that here's what happened here's what they they decided given the, the budget cuts i would allow i would accept a newsroom that decides okay we're going to use chat gpt to do summaries of these things uh, but we're going to disclose it i think that's perfectly especially for local news which has been battered since the rise of the web i mean i know this because i, I work for the chronicle and i worked in bureaus in the past so that's one positive thing aside from like i said earlier you know news uh uh, uh, uh traffic hazard warning that it may take a human reporter more time uh, if you automate it maybe it's better it's better it's a good service to the community dex you have additions to the positive list because we're going to go to the negative next <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean look um i think that that category of stuff which uh you know ben might talk about as boring you know um you know but certainly i would say is useful data that just takes a bunch of time to analyze and to go through, that's where AI could be really, really valuable. Um, you know, providing you know analysis, surfacing that data, providing um, much broader context for the kinds of stories that reporters are producing. Like that's where I see systems which are able to pass through a lot of data very quickly being incredibly valuable. Um, you know, that's going to be something that's incredibly useful for identifying local patterns, trends of interest that you can then explore further in more stories. So I think that's all a really positive piece. You know, the other piece is just around, um, you know, exposing the content that local media is producing to a much wider audience. So let's go into the negative um, and then we're going to pass it over because I'm sure there's lots of questions from the group. So, you know, we've all read about the concerns about AI and disinformation. Um, there have been two recent reports, one by NewsGuard and another by Shadow Dragon, um, that found that AI created sites and AI created content filled with fabricated events, hoaxes, dangerous medical advice. Uh, you've got that on one hand. Um, so there was, you know, already an enormous amount of disinformation and bias out there. You know, how does AI make this worse? And do we have any sense of how much worse? Is it just because it can shovel a lot more manure faster? Or is there something about it that 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 makes this different? Uh, ben? I mean, as Dex said, generative AI allows you to create content that looks real, that it was created by by humans. That's the, that's sort of the main thing that really 
changes everything. We've, we've been living with AI for a number of years, Siri and Cortana and all that. But you, when you listen to them, you know that it's not human, right? Eventually, you will have technologies that will sound human and you can be deceived by it. The more data it consumes, it'll get better. And that's the sort of the, the worrisome, uh, worrisome and at the same time positive thing. Eventually, all these things will be fixed. But at the same time, you don't know what kind of data they're using for, for these different models. And that's, that's, that's uh, going to be a, a major concern. So, Dex, and jump in anywhere on this, but I do have a very specific technical thing. Not that I'm, I want to get into this business, but um, I mean, I've written a lot in the past about disinformation. And um, it's one thing for hallucinations, so they're just working with garbage in, so you get garbage out, um, which is, and we certainly saw that in the beginning with Wikipedia, which has gotten better with crowdsourcing over time. But from my understanding of these reports from NewsGuard and Shadow Dragon, that they there were people who were malevolently using AI to push out bad information. So, so is this how is generative AI making that easier than what we just had before? I mean, I think the main challenge here is around how compelling a lot of this content seems compared to what came before. Right. So, you know, uh, you know, I think Ben spoke to this, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't exactly new. Um, AI itself has been around for a long time. And we've then had manifestations of these challenges for um, quite a long time now with the entire generation of social media technology. So like deep fakes, like that's something we've been talking about for years. Um, the thing about deep fakes, which made it such an interesting debate, is that for years, every time we talked about deep fakes, everyone knew exactly what a deep fake was because they were so unconvincing. Um, you know, exactly what was a deep fake and what wasn't. Um, now it's very different because of the quality of the experience. So, so I do think there's there's going to be an enormous number of challenges that we will face over the coming years. These are issues that you know certainly on the industry side. Um, you know, I think. Uh, lots of us are taking very seriously, certainly governments and regulators are looking at. Part of the solution will have to be other technologies that can help us pass the difference between AI-generated content and stuff that that isn't. And then part of it, I think, will be um, human solutions. And, and in fact, that may actually be the largest piece because, of course, what is driving disinformation are a bunch of societal issues. And it's not always going to be as simple as saying, oh, another piece of technology will fix that. So I want to turn this over to the group, and, and I've got lots more questions, but I'm sure the group has, they're journalists, they've got lots of questions. Um, so uh, the first question is from Phoebe Petrovic. Um, Phoebe, can you, would you like to ask your question? Oh, okay. Hey, everyone. Um, so I was curious about how we might, um, uh, just given all of the reporting that's been done about chat gpt and other ai models hallucinating information faking citations to washington post articles that don't exist um making uh fake um <laughs> totally made up research article citations that do not exist how can we ethically or seriously recommend that we use generative AI for news gathering purposes. It seems like you would just have to fact check everything really closely, and then you might as well have done the job to begin with and not get into all these ethical implications of like using a software that is potentially going to put a lot of us out of business. 
And Phoebe, are you, you're at Wisconsin Watch, right? Mm -hmm. And we have a policy that we do not, at this point, that none of us are going to be using AI for any of our news gathering purposes. Um, Dex, you want to talk a little bit about, about hallucinations? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, Phoebe has hit the nail on the head, right? Like um, that there are a bunch of, um, you know, issues right now with existing generative AI technology. Um, you do have to fact check and proof um, absolutely everything. Um, so it is it is something that, you know, it won't necessarily um, save you lots of time if you're looking to just generate, um, you know, content. I think there are two pieces here, which, um, you know, I think um, I would focus on. One is obviously the technology is um, advancing rapidly. So these are the kinds of issues which I accept with future iterations of the technology, we will see addressed by more sophisticated um, models and, and tools. Um, so um, absolutely today, um, you've got all those challenges. That won't necessarily be the case over the coming years. Um, I think the second piece really um, is around thinking, um, what's the value of me experimenting with this technology now as a journalist, as an, as an organization? It isn't necessarily to think, oh, I can go and um, you know, replace a bunch of that heavy lifting I have to do right now as a reporter. I think it's more um, becoming fluent with um, what are the things that generative AI might conceivably be able to do that can help integrate into the kind of work that you're doing. And I expect a lot of what I think reporters and, and organizations generally will use generative AI for over the coming years will actually to be doing some of the things that I talked about um, and Ben talked about, you know, it's um, corralling data, it's doing analysis, it's being more of a researcher rather than as a co-writer or entirely taking over uh, that writing. I really see it as something that's additive and um, will really augment the kind of work that reporters and writers are doing rather than replacing it. So, um... Let's move on to Amy Maxman, um, who is the CFR Murrow Fellow. Amy, would you like to ask your question? Yeah, hi. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Um, so I guess this my question actually builds on, you know, what the discussion is so far. And part of my thought for a lot of the discussion here and, and everywhere else is about, like, how AI could be helpful or hurtful in journalism. And I kind of worry how much that discussion is a bit of a distraction because i guess i guess i have to feel like the big use of ai for publishers is to save money um and that could be by cutting salaries further for journalists and cutting full-time jobs that have benefits with them so i would think the conversation might need to shift away from the good and the bad of ai to actually like can we figure out how to fund journalists still so that they use ai like a tool and then also to make sure that publishers aren't just using it to cut costs, which would be short-sighted. Um, can you figure out ways to make sure that, um, you know, journalists are actually maybe paid for their work, which actually is providing the raw material for AI? Um, basically, it's more around kind of labor issues than around like, is AI good or bad? Well, I, I think Amy actually raises, um, you know, a really important, you know, question about how we think conceptually about solving these issues, right? I, I actually really agree that it's not really about whether AI is good or bad. That's part of the conversation and like, what are the impacts? But this is a conversation that's about the future of journalism. Um, you know, when social media came along, right? 
um, there were a lot of people who said, oh, um, obviously media organizations need to adapt to the arrival of social media platforms and algorithms by converting all of their content into stuff that's really short form and designed to go viral. And, you know, that's where you had, um, you know, without naming any outlets, you had a bunch of stuff that was kind of clickbaity. And what we actually saw is that, yeah, that engaged to a certain extent, but actually people got sick of that stuff like pretty quickly. And uh, the pendulum swung enormously. And actually you saw there was a huge surge in people looking for quality, long form investigative reporting. And, you know, I think quality journalism has never been in so much demand. So actually, you know, even though you might have thought the technology incentivized and would guide the industry to one path, um, actually, um, it was a very different set of outcomes that really were going to succeed in that world. And so I think when we look at the possibilities presented by technology, it's not as clear cut as saying like this is the way the ecosystem is going to go um, or even that we want it to go that way. I think we need to talk about what exactly are the principles of good journalism this age? What kind of um, environment do we want to have? And then figure out how to make the technology um, support that. Technology has given all of us new ways of working and allowed us to experience the world in different ways. The introduction of artificial intelligence and chat GPT has both promise and caution. During a conversation I had on this subject, it was suggested that the drudgery of going to meetings where you sit for hours to learn facts can be simplified by allowing chat GPT to spit out a summary. AI, conversely, can glean data from various sources and arrive at a decision. I don't know about you, but I prefer the human element. Faster and smarter has been a goal, but not the end all to solve problems. Many of those who you've heard from have cautioned that we need rules of the road. OpenAI CEO Sam Altman cautioned, quote, my worst fears that we, the field, the technology, the industry, can cause significant harm to the world. And I think that can happen in a lot of different ways. Altman continues in his testimony to Congress that I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong, and we want to be vocal about that. We want to work with the government to prevent that from happening. Well, let me be clear. You can't put the genie back into the bottle. Critical thinking is important, and that's not going to be found in computer code. Yes, these software programs can learn. That old adage, garbage in, garbage out, plays out without guidelines. Thank you to today's guests for sharing their expertise and allowing us to hear their knowledge. I have to give a special thank you to the Council on Foreign Relations for their assistance. Future City is produced and edited by Spencer Bryant. You can listen to extended conversations with all of our guests and find out more about them by visiting wypr.org and search for Future City. We welcome your feedback, and you can email us with your thoughts and questions about the show at futurecity.org. That's one word at wypr.org. Well, until next time, I'm Charles Robinson for 88.1 WYPR and my producer, Spencer Bryant, and everyone who makes Future City possible. 
We hope your dreams of tomorrow become a reality. I'm your host, Charles Robinson. Future City is made possible by McCormick & Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at mccormickcorporation.com.